0: You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week,
1: we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are
0: your hosts, Luis Diaz. And Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Luis, are are you back at home? (laughs) Hi there.
1: Yes, back. I was in this, the weirdest place, Mike. I got out of the plane and there was a huge sign for the SkyLink, that internet from the sky thing. And it said, internet for rural areas. And I thought, where in the world am I? <laughs> Does
0: that ring a bell? <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds like Winnipeg.
1: Totally. What a beautiful place. I spent some days with you, in fact, and your team. I'm at the Build Good Summit at the Canadian Museum. Of human rights gorgeous Uh, absolutely you know five-star experience
0: yeah thanks for coming man that was awesome it was awesome having you in our hometown it was nice for you to meet all of our team and you know i'd come and visited you earlier and sort of seen
1: check me out see if this was like you know the famous green dog person from the internet anybody could be a green dog
0: that's right yeah make sure you're real make sure there is a family All of those things. Make sure you're not a psychopath. And that was the long game to get you to come to Winnipeg. What you didn't know is that I was a psychopath.
1: Well, I mean, we have to love each other. We have to accept each other. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You're a pretty good one. Folks, if you ever have a chance to be in that part of the world, highly recommend it. We're hoping, I'm going to say it, Mike, for a second Build Good Summit. So hopefully people who are listening... Hop on over, even if they're in the Czech Republic or all those other places.
0: Yeah. Are you ready for like a world exclusive? Okay. okay. On the Donor Growth Podcast. So Build Good Summit 2024 is likely happening in Calgary.
1: <gasps> Brutal. Brutal. Okay. Well, you heard it here, folks. You heard it first here on the Donor Growth Podcast. You have to go. Okay. People are going to be saying, great, you know, the guys, stop joking. We want to hear more about this. Give us goods. Do you want to talk about what your vision was for the Build Good Summit? I'm going to share a few of my reflections on how I thought it was distinctive and better. And we're going to share some of the learnings, right?
0: Yeah. So the Build Good Summit was basically our way of telling the world, hey, we're here. We exist. Build Good is a thing. We would love for you to be part of it. This is a community thing we're trying to build. And we wanted to do that like before COVID, and we actually had it all organized. We had started selling tickets already. It was kind of a way of launching BuildGood, even though BuildGood had sort of been launched. This was just a way of like making more of a public thing about it. Mm -hmm. And then we had to cancel it because, you know, the whole world went into lockdown. I'm glad we did cancel it. I'm also glad we didn't run it that year because we lost money on the event. I can talk about that too. And, you know, three years ago, I wouldn't have been able to lose money on it. And that very well could have been the end of Build Good. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, not that I can lose money now, but we're in a position where we can invest that money and hope for returns later. And you know, it's kind of like buying a booth at icon. It's gonna cost you ten thousand dollars by the time everything is said and done. What's and
1: icon for folks who don't know about that?
0: Yeah, AFP icon is the big fundraising conference that everybody goes to, which speaking of icon, I have nothing against icon, but Our vision for a conference was small, more interactive. We tried making the workshops a little bit more of a two-way, less of a person standing on the front, just talking at you. Now, some workshops were more interactive than others, granted, but we tried making that more interactive. And in our debrief, we actually decided next year, it's got to be a lot more of that, like like 5x that amount, like tables working together on a problem. So
1: I'm with you. Let's let's found a nonprofit during the next Build Good Summit and raise money for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you could structure the whole thing as a sprint, right? To do something to solve a specific problem. So that that was the vision. Small, intimate, some speakers who don't, some speakers who often get a stage for sure, but then also some speakers who this was the first time they were actually presenting to anybody. It was a way for our team to flex their consulting muscles a little bit and to package up their expertise. And I'm just super proud of them for what they pulled off. They're amazing. And, yeah, and really the anti-suit and tie sort of like come as you are, you don't need a bow tie to be in the room. I did wear a suit and tie the first day, and then the second day I wore a sweater and jeans. It made all the I, difference. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realized, no, wait, like I didn't want this to be the suit and tie conference. Why did I feel all this pressure on the first day to wear a suit and a tie?
1: Yeah. Well, you had your keynote. But if I can share a perspective as a semi-outsider, right? So you and I talk every week. Obviously, this was a conference that was put on by your agency. But what I found was distinctive about this and really kind of valuable and ahead of the industry was that you brought a specific point of view, that's build Good's point of view, and you supported it in lots of different ways so it's kind of like looking at a diamond with all its facets right but you know you definitely have a way of thinking about fundraising that pardon me i happen to agree with and that's distinctive do you want to tell us about what you wanted to bring like as you know what were your top ideas you know the top concepts that you used to put together all the different sessions.
0: Yeah. So the top concept, basically in the keynote, we introduced this thing called the fundraising flywheel. I don't know if we've talked about it in this podcast, but it is all the ideas we've talked about it in this podcast, just codified a little bit. But but the big overarching idea is that, that fundraisers are kind of, or organizations are kind of at an inflection point. And if anybody has listened to our podcast episode called The Changing Paradigm of Content... I think we do a decent job talking about that strategic inflection point, but basically we're we're in the middle between the old way and the new way. And the old way was very much like command and control, I know better than you in terms of leadership and the nonprofit versus the donor, very much telling our story well, very much about spinning our story, you know, yeah. like if getting you just- the right
1: messaging as in using the right words that are going to Yeah, get people to do something, no?
0: Yeah, yeah. The whole thing about, you know, you use the right message to the right people at the right time, which usually just meant one message to everybody at the same time, but we talked about, (laughs) you know, but we framed it as, it was the right message to the right people at the right time. And then the new way, if you will, being a lot more, I don't know if messy is the right word, but a lot more responsive, a lot more in the moment, Asking is only one fifth of the equation. The other parts are actually like listening, both in terms of like quantitative and qualitative data. We've talked about that a bunch and how qualitative Mm -hmm. data is messy, but it's important. Engaging, which is the thing that you talk a lot about a lot, which is like, you know, engagement led fundraising, engagement scoring, actually gathering with people, doing stuff together celebrating generosity that is actually more so about who the person is when they give and less so about the act of giving and then reporting back on specific gifts so that's sort of the what we call the flywheel that we walked through and it, it's hopefully a more human to human approach and i think just yeah. takes into account that you know you kind of got to play the long game and your best bet is even at scale Do what we always say at Donor Growth, like deeper relationship with more of your donors.
1: Totally. Totally. What I love about the flywheel is that it actually illustrates that fundraising is the celebrating part. That fundraising is the listening part, the engaging part. That also counts as fundraising, which lots of people have preconceptions about. Identify fundraising with asking. And if you're not asking enough, you're not you know, being a good fundraiser. We talked a little bit about that, especially as with, you know, related to how boards see this, you know, the supervising structures of lots of the people that we had in the room there, how they see this. There was some tension there, wasn't it? Wasn't there?
0: Yeah, there is an interesting, a few interesting topics that came up along the way, right? And one of them was boards. And there may have been some swear words thrown around on stage. <laughs> I don't know. Did you catch? Vegas that? rules. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Winnipeg stays in Winnipeg. And and yeah, lots of work to be done. One of my frustrations, you'll remember at the end, when we were asked, you and I were asked on stage, what our takeaways was, I said one of my frustrations was, you know, we didn't have enough CEOs in the room. And that can also apply to boards, which is, I think fundraisers know what they're doing, but we bump into... Leadership structures and structures of accountability and governance. And I, I know why those are in place. I'm not saying we don't need boards, but who impede a lot of that progress.
1: Yeah, there's tension there. Well, build good summit for leaders, for nonprofit leaders.
0: You want to quickly talk about the workshop that you ran. You ran a few, but let's quickly talk about the one that that got a lot of feedback, positive feedback, which was community-led sure. growth. What did you get into in your workshop with with the crowd?
1: Sure. So first off, it was absolutely wonderful to be there. I've presented a whole lot just because of the nature of COVID. A lot of it has been virtual. So being in a room full of people and having conversations was incredible. We talked about this framework that I've, I would say, put together and adapted for fundraising from a variety of sources that i think are quite robust and it's a framework to engage people in ways that build community because community is a way to retain donors to get good feedback it just has a ton of positive externalities i don't know that's the economist in me speaking right and i don't know if it's the right word but so it's something that you do because you have a goal maybe you want to engage people to retain donors but a lot of good things come out of it too so I think that building communities is a very smart way to approach fundraising in an effective way, especially in the environment that we are right now. So I shared the kind of the framework, the how do you do it, the nuts and bolts. People uh, were interested in, okay, but now how do I do this as one more thing on the side of my desk? Like I don't have capacity. So we went into how you actually don't need to do a lot more, a lot of new things, even if they do feel new, it's not actually more work, it's doing things, some things differently. We also acknowledge that, like you said, the messy part, it makes things messy, and it makes things more complex. And that requires a new kind of muscle, a muscle, you know, an ability to have conversations, sometimes difficult conversations, that like major gift donors, I feel have more of that muscle. But sometimes the rest of the organization is like, oh my goodness, they said something negative, delete that post immediately. So we went from like the theory of why in the world would you want to do things this way, which makes a ton of sense in this environment that you and I talk a lot about, Mike, this loss of trust, et cetera. Honestly, I haven't found a better way that's honestly as cost efficient, right? So you do that building communities. You build trust through communities. And then we went into the nuts and bolts. Something I heard, Mike, that people liked was at the very beginning when we had everybody introduce themselves. I didn't know that was going to be such a hit.
0: I actually, I co- I copied you for the next workshop that I ran. I was like, all right, that we're going to do that. That seemed to work amazing, and 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 it did. Well, actually.
1: that's actually item number one in the framework: make it participatory. So you can do anything, community-like events or community building engagement is not black or white it's a continuum so you can do anything that you're doing and try to make it a little bit more community building so for instance if you make it more participatory rather than less you know that's a win there it was great to see how people reacted to it even if they didn't know that Mm -hmm. it was all part of the master plan
0: so if people are interested in that actually we did a podcast episode on this it's called the sustainable revenue engine it was i think episode number 13 of the donor growth podcast and Lewis walks through that, that framework um, and if you remember it was purposeful participatory recurring and it identifies leaders so those are the four sort of key attributes of community-led fund great fundraising so if you just if you're listening to the donor growth podcast you're new you're from a foreign land far away a friend just told you about donor growth go back. Find find the episode called the Sustainable Revenue Engine. And Lewis goes into great detail about what community led growth actually looks like. Lewis, what were your sort of top takeaways from the summit?
1: Top takeaways. But really the top takeaway was that I haven't seen any other conference or professional development venue get together, you know, institution that's providing this type of knowledge. So I thought it was very, very unique. that's horrible. you know, I thought it was unique and quite honestly, valuable. This is stuff that's happening. You're a practitioner, you're applying this with clients. you're you know, you're reflecting on all all this world, you know, you're observing the world, you're reflecting on it, then you're doing it and you're seeing what works and what doesn't. a little bit the same with me. And we went there to kind of share a snapshot of the journey so far. And to give people ways to apply it practically, not just in theory, you know, or not just as an example of this, you know, the mythical nonprofit that does everything right. I didn't hear a lot of case studies, honestly, which I kind of get irritated about. So that was my takeaway. It was simply amazing. I think huge ROI for anybody who'd like to come back next year.
0: Yeah. All right. Do you want to hear some numbers?
1: Well, yes, and I also want to hear about your sessions and maybe your keynote and all of that.
0: Sure. What do you want to do first? Numbers or or a little numbers. bit more numbers? This is numbers. Right. So, what does it take to run a conference? These are these are rough numbers. I haven't done the math completely, <laughs> but the venue cost about two thousand dollars, which was a pretty decent price. This is Canada's only federal museum that's outside of the capital city. Beautiful building. It's kind of the building that is on all the Winnipeg postcards. If you're coming to Winnipeg, you're going to see this building in the pictures. If you Google Winnipeg, you're going to see this building in the pictures. So beautiful venue. I thought it very affordably priced and also a very appropriate venue for a fundraising conference, which is the Museum for Human Rights, which is all about the history of human rights in Canada.
1: Venue um, 10 out of 10. Amazing. Great
0: choice. We decided not to provide lunch. And uh, this is one of those, like, we were going for minimum viable conference, didn't want to lose our shirt on it, and decided where to invest and where to not invest. And lunch was one of those places where the catering for lunch, you can only use their catering, which is, I'm sure the food is amazing, but it's also priced accordingly. And so we just couldn't... (laughs) (laughs) we couldn't afford it basically but there was a food sort of patio right down the road a few minutes down the road so people left the venue to go and get their own lunch which in the debrief when people wrote out the survey i was surprised how many people said that was a positive they said they liked that lunch wasn't at the venue so it didn't suck the energy out of the venue, and they felt like they came back refreshed to the venue for the conference.
1: Wow, that's great feedback. I also have to say that just the choice of the general location of where the museum is was fantastic. Surrounded by walkable areas, I saw some conference participants just going out for a stroll, yeah, kind of to refresh, as you mentioned, if you wanted to go get food. And it wasn't like a food mall, you know, it wasn't a food court like what you find in, the, in U.S. malls. It was actually a really nice uh, place full of food vendors that were, you know, all ethnical varieties and super high quality. Very nice.
0: Yeah. All right. So coffee was about 300 bucks for the two days. Cookies was about another 300 bucks. So,
1: about <laughs> you are going to talk about that. <laughs> How many cookies were there? What was the, life? <laughs> the price per cookie?
0: I don't want to... <laughs> They are good cookies. Let's say they were worth the price. Okay. We don't have to (laughs) dwell on it. Sometimes I get into a scarcity mindset and I'm like, I can't afford these cookies. They're like $3 a piece, but yeah, um, but people like them. People ate the cookies. So it added to the conference. So all in all, you know, after taxes, after some other stuff, probably like 3K-ish for the venue, Speakers, flying everybody in, putting them up at a hotel, all the costs associated with speakers was, I think, seven to eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars.
1: That was very nice, Mike. You chose a fantastic hotel. Felt taken care of. Was wonderful.
0: Cool. Yeah, I should have had the I should have had the breakdown here in the Google Doc, so I'm not like talking from the top of my head. I think it was more than seven to eight thousand dollars. Total total conference costs were about. Twenty-five thousand dollars. Okay. Total ticket sales were about fifteen thousand dollars, and then there was some sponsorships that offset some free tickets that we gave to clients because clients got to come for free. So all in all, we—I was going to say we lost, but we invested about eight to ten thousand dollars in pulling it off.
1: And this is for a conference of something under two hundred people.
0: Yeah, there was ninety people there.
1: Ninety felt like a lot. Super. Fantastic experience, intimate. you really got to know everybody. So, you know, I think you also have to think of intangible values. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it was worth it?
0: Yeah. So cards on the table, we were also hoping to get business out of it, right? And Mm -hmm. now we did zero pitching. Caitlin talked about the Academy for a few minutes, but there was, we didn't want this to be like a big advertorial, essentially, you know, when you, when you pay just to hear how great somebody is. Yeah. 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 And in fact, in the feedback later. Somebody told me, hey, you, you didn't really tell us what Build Good was. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of gather that you might be like a consultant or something, but like, I thought this was just a conference. And they're like, I could have stand to hear a little bit more from you about who you are, what you do, how this all ties into it. So that's on me. I, I didn't even think of it. And I actually think maybe for the better, just my opinion, but, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe a missed opportunity. But,
1: well, I mean, I think you and I have both observed that in fundraising relations that end up in in business so that end up in us working with with a team usually take longer than people from other industries think they should. Yeah. So, you know, I think the long-term relationship building play is always the right one. Do you feel like you started enough relationships that were new and, you know, and obviously I'm very good footing because they say, oh goodness, this is Mike from Bill Good. Remember that conference? It was amazing.
0: Yeah, we started a lot of very good relationships, I would say. And, you know, this week I'm reaching out to a bunch of people who said, hey, let's do coffee after this. Let's get to know each other a little bit more. And so I, I consider that a win. And like I said, you know, our mutual friend and colleague posted on LinkedIn about what it took to put on a booth at icon and they also invested about 10k by the time you rent the space you build it out so that's also an investment and again nothing against icon but if i have to invest 10k i would rather do another build good summit and own the thing and do it ourselves and yeah
1: well you're not counting all the time and effort from your team which i imagine was substantial
0: substantial yep for sure yep Yeah. So again, special events. We did the errors of attribution. We should do the errors of accounting when you're evaluating an event, which is like staff time, which is a lot. So I'm not counting staff time in here. We also combined it with our staff retreat. So once a year, we all get together anyways. So we Mm -hmm. did our staff retreat at the beginning in Winnipeg, and then we did the conference on the back end of that. So it was also a way to maybe subsidize the staff retreat a little bit, which we would have invested in anyways. So.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Your team is remote, Mike?
0: Yeah, the whole team is remote and once a year we try to get together and you know, honestly, we probably should do it four times per year. <laughs> it's good to get together in person. It's it's the best. And yeah, I'm biased, but I love the people on our team, so it's fun to, to spend a lot of time with them. All right, do you want to hear my top takeaways? Yes, please. I basically have one large top takeaway, which is that in every workshop the questions that we were getting were all about how do i convince my boss to do this how can i have this conversation with communications and marketing how uh, you know we've never done it this way this seems like it would be a lot for people to get used to how do i manage that change how do i get my board to fundraise how do i get like all those were all the questions and so i think you know you talk about community being purposeful participatory one of that, I don't know where that this falls, but I think communities start to have like lore, as in they start to have like common, like language and phrases that people in the community say. Yeah. Traditions, think, rituals. There's a yeah, lot of rituals. Ridden. I think one of those for the Build Good Summit is going to be stickers that say, I don't have fundraising problems. I have leadership problems. Now, I don't think that people are going to be putting those on their laptops when their boss is around.
1: Oh, you, could you have like something with a little cover? And then you like slip it on or off, depending who's in the room. That's so funny.
0: But they're gonna be a really
1: good takeaway, you know, covertly Um,
0: putting that sticker on their water bottle that they never take to work or something. But yeah,
1: I recently shared on LinkedIn pyramid of how people learn, it's mostly bogus. So the person, you know, it says you learn 10% of what you hear in a lecture, 20% about what you read, you know, and then Mm. it goes down into more active then you know the best supposedly at the bottom is you learn whatever 70 80 percent of what you teach it's it's an image that maybe some of the people who are listening today have seen before it's the, the numbers don't hold up to kind of rigorous scientific research but the general principle I think does. And people that have, I've read some papers that say, well, you know, what's true is that multimodal learning is much better than just through one way, right? So if you're just going to read about it, you'll learn more if you read about it and you explain it to somebody else. Yeah. I think we all intuitively get that. So I think, you know, a lot of the learning that you're seeking to happen in Bill Goods summit could be about how to learn how to teach about this to all those internal constituents. I feel like that's another huge blind spot in our industry. We're internalizing the blame, right? So, oh, you know, mm-hmm. it's all on us. We didn't try hard enough. We didn't, the work smart enough, et cetera. You know, and sometimes what makes the difference and what I've seen really great fundraisers and fundraising leaders do is they educate, they align everybody around them. So, and they're doing the same thing that they would have done, right? Yeah. Um, this goes- that, that was a really interesting insight.
0: Yeah, this goes back a little bit about the thing technical players versus relationship players, which is you can be really good at your job and be a really good technical player, but how do you bring mm-hmm. others along around you? And maybe relationship players is the wrong word, but like that skill set of, of being able to, some people call it managing up. I don't like that term, but...
1: Well, but, sometimes managing sideways, honestly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is just bringing uh, other people along. And so may, maybe for future, maybe like You know, maybe that's one thing that we need to have actually like focus on next year.
1: Yeah, super. That was a super interesting learning. You know, that when I work with clients in the annual fund toolkit, that's part of what clients tell me that they get huge value out of, which is funny, right? Because I feel like, well, on the technical side, like you were just saying, we're doing just fairly best practice, you know, fairly standard, just good fundraising. There's nothing magical there, right? It's not that we whip out a letter that suddenly makes people throw money at you. But on the relationship side, the, the model that we have in the annual fund toolkit, where people, where we meet together with the team every week and we kind of coach them through it, that gives them a ton of value. So I think it ties into what you noticed in the conference too. That That's an, you know, interesting takeaway. Yeah.
0: To your point on multimodal, shout out to Christine Gilliland, who ran a workshop on copywriting and the philanthropic psychology principles of great copywriting. And she handed out a direct mail appeal letter that she had printed out just for the summit. Now, it was an appeal letter she had written and produced and run for a client. And so she knew the results of it, but she printed out an extra 50 copies, brought it to the summit. She went through some principles of copywriting in, in classic workshop style, but then she turned on the crowd and she handed out these envelopes and she had people read the letter. And then she said, hey, how do you think this performed? And she asked a bunch of questions. And a lot of people were like, I would never respond to this. This is, you know, this is cheesy. This is that. Said, okay. And then she unveiled the results, which were amazing, right? Like super high average give, great response rate, all these things. And then together they walked through like, well, well, based on everything that we talked about so far, what like, what could explain those results? Why might that be? And so then they applied it to the letter in their hands. So I thought that was a very effective way of, of teaching.
1: Fantastic. I saw the slides for her presentation. Spot on. Another presenter, Brad Quering, right? Also shared kind of the package that he's prepared. Is it, Mike, is it okay if I, if I share what his presentation was about? I was
0: I bowled I over. Did, I didn't ask him if it was okay, but I I think it's okay. So well,
1: it, we'll break the Vegas rules. I don't know if there's a penalty for that. He did a presentation about a plan giving program that he launched in his own words off the side of his desk with a one part-time employee and I found it was very innovative in number one, the way that he approached lead generation and he walked us through the whole thing. You know, frankly, I could tell you, you two both work together, Mike, because I, I saw like a lot of that, you know, idea exchange happening there. And he walked us through the whole process of how he does the identification of the prospect pool, then the outreach, then the follow-up to the outreach, the, you know, the conversations. But what was so interesting is that he then hands off people who are interested to a community foundation, that was my understanding, That that's the equivalent in the US, that actually has the plan giving officers and has those conversations with donors, which for an organization, that may not have plan giving officers, I found was a fantastic idea. And I think more you know, I, I think this should be applied elsewhere. So we got some interactivity there and we, we were able to actually look at the package that they send. And it was very
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The lead gen to a public foundation is kind of a game changer for organizations who don't have Like planned giving people in house. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if these orgs exist in the US. There's quite a few in Canada. And the people are trained in donor conversations, but they're also trained in all the financial vehicles that a donor can use. And so, in terms of like tax planning, gift planning, making the most out of that gift, deciding what mix of assets to give like, okay, Mm -hmm. you've got a life insurance policy, you sold some farmland. You're sitting on a bunch of RSPs, which in the States is like, it's like, it's a tax advantaged account, like a Roth IRA or a 401k. And then, you know, these folks will actually help you make the best of that. But the job of the org is just to secure the fact that, yes, I want to leave a gift to my will. And then somebody else worries about how how to do that the most tax advantaged way, which is amazing.
1: I thought it was, yeah, hugely innovative. I've been thinking of that model for the US and I could imagine some nonprofits feeling like oh we're losing control of the donor relationship which I think is a complete illusion they you know they never had it to begin with. Yeah. But I could see people thinking about things that way. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that or maybe it turns into a, an episode in the podcast.
0: Yeah. So that organization is Abundance Canada. Abundance.ca, if anybody wants to check it out and see what that model looks like. And in terms public of- community on, foundation. On the public foundation side. Yep. But yeah. Yep. Yeah, super innovative program. Huge ROI for what Brad spent in terms of hiring a part-time person, writing these letters. Just just amazing. Like Uncovered yep. and created millions of dollars of, of gifts and will Thank pipeline. Yeah.
1: yeah. And he shared conversion data at each step. Of the process, super interesting. All Nazareth, Nazareth's, you know, was a whirlwind. I mean, that guy is just a genius. What were your takeaways? I know a lot of it was kind of very much Canadian oriented. What were yeah. your big, big takeaways from that?
0: So I went to his workshop, his second workshop on plan giving. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit fuzzy before going in around gifts of life insurance and Mm -hmm. I walked out of it being like, ah, more donors need to know about this. (laughs) I learned of a bunch of more tax advantaged ways to give that I didn't really know before. And even the way that you structure it now, I'm still not entirely clear on how to structure it, which is okay. I don't need to be, Mm -hmm. I just need to know that that is a possibility so that when you hand somebody off to somebody like abundance, Canada, or Christian Stewardship Services, or or one of those, You've, you have a bit of an idea. Maybe you talk to the donor. If the donor says, well, I don't really know. I, all I've got is life insurance. You can say, oh, check this out. There's actually a really tax advantaged way of giving from your life insurance. I can put you in touch with somebody who can explain it to you. So just on a technical side, that was a big takeaway. I think his keynote, it was a keynote he's never given before. And he also said, hey, this keynote is it's partly as in, in my role, but it's also partly just like a personal thing that I want to say. Mm-hmm. Again, what happens in Winnipeg stays in Winnipeg. So, mm-hmm. um, but let's just say we were all collectively able to air a few grievances that, that we feel about leadership in the sector. I think it gave people a lot of permission to breathe a little bit easier. I also think it challenged yeah. people a whole bunch. He talked a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. He talked a lot about who's in the room. He talked a lot about At some point, we may have to have some difficult conversations with some major donors about how did you make your money? And again, we can get into philosophical or point of view agreements or disagreements there, but I think it is a conversation that you definitely need to have.
1: I mean, I've seen some of the bigger shops have that already as a process. That really wasn't, I think, so shocking to me. So, you know, having a due diligence process before accepting larger gifts, especially if they come from other countries, shops that do a lot of international fundraising, where you may not just have a lot of public information on people. And if somebody shows up and says, I want to give you 2 million, mm-hmm. who is this, you know, doing some due diligence? Who is this person? Where does the money come from? Etc. So that was super valuable. I I zoomed in into another part of Paul's presentation, which was that part where he kept saying, but we already have the data. So he kept referring to practices that are just not helping or maybe even hurting in the sector. And he kept saying, well, you know, it's not really an argument anymore. Like we already have the data on what makes people give, on what ways to give, on how the best teams work. You know, then this tied into, you know, on on how you need to have the right people at the table. Mm -hmm. And there's tons of data. He shared reams of resources. But it also made me think, you know, as to, okay, so what's not working? And do we need to think of different approaches? You know, not one or the other, but is there something else that needs to be happening to change people's hearts and minds? Especially those that are kind of making the decisions for these things, which ties back to the leadership issues that you mentioned. So I don't have answers for that, but this conversation being in Winnipeg made me think about this, which I think in and of itself was super valuable.
0: You kind of touched on this already before, where you said like the multimodal learning thing, the like how do you convince people, how people learn? It's not about, you know, it's not about the lecture. It's not about the so yes, we have the data. We've had data for a long time and a lot of things doesn't make a difference. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, In our workshop on fundraising offers, we talked about how Canada as a country had the data of what was happening in Syria, the civil war in Syria. We knew how many people were dying every day. We knew what was going on. As a country, we didn't do anything until a little boy washed up ashore. And there was an image of Alan Kurdi, the little boy who who fled Syria, died in a boating accident, trying to flee Syria, washed up on shore. That image was on the front page of every newspaper. I'm assuming it was on the front page of every newspaper in the U.S. And that changed Canadian government policy to take in 30,000 Syrian refugees in the next year or two. Which again, is like, we had the data, we had the head smarts about it, but it, it took the story of one tragedy to realize, oh, this is a tragedy, right? It's the thing that it's attributed to... I think it's attributed to Lenin or to Mussolini or or one of those, one of those evil henchmen, which is just like the death of a thousands is a statistic and the death of mm-hmm. one is a tragedy. So I don't know. Data data is certainly powerful to back up certain arguments. I think data might be more powerful to rationalize a decision once you've made it. And then the data says, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good decision. I don't know how powerful it is to convince some people.
1: That totally sounds like me at Home Depot trying to justify <laughs> some expense with my wife. But look at the stats for this. It's amazing.
0: He's like, why did you buy a riding lawnmower? We don't even have like a yard. And you're like, well, the data says people with riding lawnmowers live longer. Yes. Uh, and
1: this is a and it's, it thing. rotates. It, ro- it turns, you know, it rotates on itself. So I can literally just turn around in the one spot that we have that has a little bit of grass and use it. It's amazing.
0: Think of the features think of the features people have built business empires mowing lawns for other people this is an investment
1: yeah well maybe hey maybe one day we talk about the organizations that are actually nonprofits, but you didn't know they were the guardian you know i'm thinking a little bit in the news and, com- and media space right rolex. Uh, consumer reports
0: rolex um, guinness oh rolex we can yeah
1: that's great well Mike, shall we kind of close this off? My perspective, okay, kind of an outsider, but also somebody who talks with the conference organizer every week. Hugely valuable. You hit it on the head. Yes, do it, make it more interactive next time, but it, I didn't really miss it. I think people still got value. You can't also throw people into a totally different atmosphere the first year. I feel like this was a, a great start at it. What was shared there was absolute gold. And I hope people found it practical. I did. And as I shared, there were some things that are making me think and other things that are making me design strategies and tactics that I can take to clients. So kudos. Congratulations.
0: Huge thanks to speakers who made it all possible. Lewis, Paul, Brad, Ziggard. We didn't talk about Ziggard, but she had a great workshop oh. on data and making data oh. really accessible. This is the lady yeah. who like when Five Guys Burgers and Fries need somebody to analyze their data, they call her. And Ziggard Penner in Winnipeg, Manitoba puts together the QBR for the global Five Guys company every quarter analyzing all their data.
1: I've already spoken about her work. With uh, with teams I work with, she shared a, a great anecdote about some of this work that she does with for profits, and it was uh, yeah I don't feel you know I don't feel like I have her permission to share this, but uh, wow super amazing and she does this for nonprofits too so mm-hmm.
0: yeah Christine Gilliland Paul Nazareth I don't know who I already mentioned I haven't this is the problem when you start listing people. But if you were a speaker at the Build Good Summit, you have my, my, uh, you know, yeah, members of your team, my gratitude uh, and the team who I'm just so proud of them. They, um, they knocked it out of the park and I'm eternally grateful to have ended up with those people on the team.
1: This is great. Well, everybody, see you next week. And for some of you, see you next year up in Canada with Mike's team. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and
0: buildgood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime,
1: remember that donor growth is possible.